Luke's gospel is the only gospel that records this criminal's repentance. All four gospels record the crucifixion of the two criminals, one on each side of Jesus. And Matthew and Mark uh, record that both of them, at the beginning at least, are insulting Jesus along with the crowd. There's a profound irony in this simple fact of these two criminals. A few days before this, on their way to Jerusalem, two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, came to Jesus and requested of him that they might sit at his right hand and his left hand when he receives his glory. That seemed logical to them. They were one of Jesus' disciples. They were in his inner circle. They had witnessed his transfiguration on the mountain. So who better to pick as his generals in the kingdom of God? Jesus now hangs here on the cross and on his left and right hand are two criminals, not trusted advisers, not close friends, at least not initially. As I said, Luke is the only gospel who records this second criminal's change of heart. Exactly what happened to trigger this change, we don't know although we actually do know it must have been a work of the Spirit to, to cause such a radical change at such an extreme situation. I think Luke records this because one of the things his Gospel focuses on is how Jesus reaches out and extends grace to those that we might think are unexpected people, the most unlikely those on the fringe of society, those who are deemed unclean or unworthy of God's favour. So even in his last moments, Jesus extends grace to someone who a moments ago was his enemy, the most unlikely person. He shows us that grace is not for those who deserve it because then it wouldn't be grace. Grace is for those least deserving, least unlikely. This man, if you look at verses 40 to 42, this man has a sure hope in the promise of the resurrection. Whether he already knew this or whether it only dawned on him in this moment, how else could he say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Both he and Jesus were hanging on crosses about to die. Their death was certain. How could he say, remember me when you come into your kingdom, unless he believed that both Jesus and he would be raised from the dead? Now, his request reflects the language of an Old Testament passage, a passage in Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. In other places in the Bible, we see Michael as the name of an angel. But here I believe uh, this figure that Daniel um, hears about is speaking of Christ. Michael means one who is like God. He is a prince over Daniel's people, the Jews. And see what will happen when this Michael, this prince, comes into his kingdom. There will be a time of great trouble, but it will also be a time of deliverance for those whose names are written in the book. There comes then the resurrection of these people who have been delivered, a resurrection to everlasting life. See how this passage corresponds to Easter and beyond. Jesus has come as the Messiah, the King of the Jews, as the inscription on his cross reads. And is there any greater time of trouble than when the Prince of Life, God's righteous and holy one, is put to death by those whom he came to save? This criminal recognises Jesus' identity as the Prince who had come to receive his kingdom. Yet he also recognises the enigma of this event. The prince is being crucified, but he'd not done anything wrong. This is the time of deliverance that Daniel had spoken of, but in order for us to be delivered from our sins, Jesus, our king, must first be delivered up for our sins. Romans 4, 24, 25 speaks of Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The criminal knows that if Jesus is the Messiah and that he has been crucified for sins that are not his own, then God the Father would bring vindication for Jesus and would raise him from the dead. Psalm 16.10 says, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. That's a, a verse that is uh, clearly and explicitly applied to Jesus uh, as Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. But what this man asks is even more remarkable. He knows that he himself is being crucified for what he did. He deserves the sentence of death. Yet he's asking Jesus that he too may be raised when Jesus receives his kingdom. He knows that it will only be by pure grace that the risen Jesus would allow him, a traitor, a criminal, to come and be a citizen of the kingdom of God. See what Jesus' answer is? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What did he mean? Do you mean that when the man died, he'd go to heaven? Well, this word paradise is the Greek name for the Garden of Eden. It, and it's also used in the New Testament a couple of times to refer to the future renewed creation. See, Jesus is promising him much more than an afterlife. 
He's promising him more than, yes, you'll go to heaven when you die. He's saying, yes, you will be with me when I come into my kingdom, when my father makes all things new, when, like Adam and Eve before sin entered the world, you will walk with God in the goodness and the abundance of his holy presence in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness is at home. This, Jesus tells him, will happen today. Now, did he mean before the sun sets today or sometime in the next 24 hours? Well, uh, Jesus is also using the language of an Old Testament passage, Psalm 95 verse 7, which is quoted in Hebrews chapter 4. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This Sabbath rest is what the first man and woman enjoyed with God in the seventh day of creation that had no end as God rested from all his works. It was the, the state of play in Eden, in paradise. It was God's rest and they were participants in his rest. Now through their sin, the man and woman were cast out of Eden, out from the place of rest and into a life of pain and futility and toil and sorrow. The consequences of the the just curse that God had placed on them and on creation. And this scenario has been repeated over and over again with every generation, with every single person. We see it played out in the drama of Israel's history when even being brought to the promised land, as this passage refers to, as they were being brought to this second Eden, they disobeyed and they were unable to enter God's rest. Let's see what verse 7 says. There would come another day, today. A day called today. A- another day of opportunity for God's people to hear him and to, to not harden their hearts and to come into the paradise of God's Sabbath, Sabbath rest. That today begins with the arrival of Jesus and we are still in that today. Today is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, In a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See how this is what Jesus was telling this man. 
This is the day. It is today. I have already come into my kingdom. The sign above my head is true today. I am the king of the Jews and the kingdom of God has already arrived in me. It is at this very point that Jesus is expressing his kingly power and authority. He hangs there not because someone has taken his life from him, but because in his kingly authority he is laying down his life for sinners such as this man, for sinners such as me, for sinners such as you. And with the same authority, he will take it up again three days later. And when he does, he will take us up with him and in him. Hallelujah for the cross. See what things would be true if Jesus were not risen. The work of every Christian preacher for the last 2,000 years would be in vain because it would be based on a fiction. Anyone who ever had faith in Jesus would be believing in vain, in a fiction. The entire Christian community who has confessed Jesus as Lord for 2,000 years would be misrepresenting God because they're claiming of him something that's false. Our faith would be futile, meaning that it would accomplish nothing. It would be useless. It would be of no benefit to us or anyone else. We would still be in our sins and under the wrath of God's condemnation. Every Christian who has fallen asleep hasn't actually fallen asleep. They've perished for good and will never rise again. The only hope that we would be able to extract from Christ would only be for this life. Whatever good may come from believing in him in this life will all be cruelly torn away from us once we are swallowed by the grave. And Christianity, which stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus, would be the biggest scandal of all human history. Every Christian would be the most pathetic and gullible victim of the biggest hoax. Those statements tell us something about Jesus' resurrection, but they also tell us something about the nature of his death. See, these things would be true also if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, let alone risen from the dead. Paul uses an interesting phrase in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. To be in my sins is more than simply being a sinner. It speaks not just of my sinful actions, but of my sinful state. I am in my sins. My sins are like a prison cell that holds me captive. And even if I wanted to break out, which apart from the Spirit's work in my heart, I wouldn't want to. Even if I wanted to, I could not break out. I would be a helpless prisoner because the the bars of this cell are unbendable and the door is firmly locked. What Christ has done at the cross is he has entered into my prison cell. 
he hasn't just saved me from a distance. He's actually come into where I am. He has sunk down into the mire and the darkness and the depths of my own sin when he bore my sin, when he bore your sin in the cross on the tree. We're told that uh, Jesus became a curse to set us free from the curse of the law. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This isn't salvation from a distance. This is Christ uh, coming right to us uh, where we are in our prison cell and breaking that prison cell open from within. When Jesus was talking with uh, his dear friend Mary uh, outside the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus, he said to her, Lazarus will live. And her response was, uh, yes, Lord, I know that, that he will live because he will rise at the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he said to her, do you believe this? And that's what I want to ask all who are watching this service this morning. Do you believe not just that uh, Jesus historically died on the cross and uh, you might even believe that, yes, the resurrection of Jesus might actually be uh, a possibility. It could have actually happened. Do you believe that Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life, that he has uh, met you in the prison of your sin and your darkness and despair and your death, that he has come to where you are and he has broken you free from that prison of sin through his resurrection from the dead.